Is it kosher to elope? Does the mitzvah of kibbutz aim imply that parents wield halachic control over their children's marriage? Intriguingly, this question, which was first discussed by halachic authorities in the 15th century, became a factor in the tensions that arose later with the advent of the Hasidic movement in the 18th century. Sometime in either the 1780s or the, 17, or the early 1790s, we're not entirely sure, the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, the first Rebbe of Chabad, wrote a letter that is addressed to Harav HaMoyer HaGodel HaMefursim, a listing of honorifics, Kvoid, Marenu Arav, Rebbe Eliezer Katz, a rabbi named Eliezer Katz. What's the background to this letter? When Hasidus began in the, in the second half of the 18th century, one of the things that stood out about the Hasidic movement is the change in davening. And that is to change the Nusach Hatfila away from the standard Nusach Ashkenaz that they had davened with when they were younger and their parents had davened and their ancestors had davened for as far back as anyone could remember, moved away from this Nusach Hatfila and moved to other Nuschois that <clears throat> were said to be consistent with the way the Arizal taught a person should daven. That's why there was a number of printings of different Sidurim that were said to be consistent with the Kavanas of the Arizal and the teachings of the Arizal. And uh, Hasidus obviously was not limited to this, but one of the things that stood out and one of the things that caused a lot of strife was the change in the Nusach of the Davening. This is the background to this letter that the Alter Rebbe wrote, we don't have the exact date, to this Rabbi Eliezer Katz. Let's see what the Alter Rebbe wrote. He wrote as follows. Don't be upset about the fact that I'm not going to give you a lengthy response to respond to your lengthy letter with all of your many uh, pilpulim. God is my witness. I don't have the time. Maybe we'll have the ability to get together and have a meeting face-to-face -face when I come to the province, the area of Poland, which happens from time to time. Then we'll be able to get together and then we could spend more time on this. Okay, but for now, I'm just going to give you a few brief thoughts and comments in response. I understand from your letter to me that what's really driving you, he says, is avas hasholim. What's really driving you is that you have a lot of love for peace. Why? The mizara da'ara in ka'asi. You are a koyin. Remember, he's Eliezer Katz. You are a koyin. Oyev shalom, v'roidev shalom. That's Aaron was someone who, who loved peace and pursued peace. You also want to have peace in your community. And what do you see? The problem is, ve'ein of yashar yechazu, what you see in your community is mei adam people hamisnagdim al haminyin shebemachaneyu ator. That is, that in your community, it doesn't say which community this is, but in your community, there are people who are misnagdim. The Alter Rebbe does not use this word very often at all. In his letters, it comes up very, very few times. Uh, but here is one of them where he says, in your community, there are people who are against the good and holy minion. What's the good and holy minion? Excuse me. The, the minion is not good and holy. The minion, in your special holy community. What was the minion? The minion was that a group of people who started following the Derech of Chassidah said, 
we're starting a breakaway. We're no longer going to daven in the main shul that davens Nusach Ashkenaz. We're going to have a breakaway. And this was for two reasons. Number one, we want to daven slow. We want to daven with more kavana because we want to emphasize more avodas atfila. That's one reason why we want to have a breakaway. The second reason, we want to have a, dif a different nusach. Now there are people who are against this, and there are two sides in the community. And Rabbi Eliezer Katz, the Alter Rebbe says, was lahapech b'schus avos. He was defending the parents. And what were the parents doing? They were moichim b'bneim leilech leminyan. They were protesting against their children going to Minyan and saying, no, you are not allowed to go to this new breakaway Minyan. Why? Why were the fathers against it? Because you can't change the Nusuk. That they unjustifiably are changing. And Rabbi Eliezer Katz agrees with them. And you, Rabbi Eliezer Katz, agree. In other words, there's so many issues that are going on, but in one in this one issue, Rabbi Eliezer Katz is writing to the Alter Rebbe and says, look, there's a problem here in our community. There's this breakaway minion. You're a leader of Hasidim, so you have some sway. I think the fathers are right, because the fathers have a halachic right to tell their children not to go and to change their nusach. Valkain, and therefore, You believe, that the fathers have the best intentions in mind. This is not politics. This is L'Shem Shamayim. And they are justified in their protest. So obviously, he tried talking to them in their community. Eliezer Katz did. It just didn't work. It wasn't effective. So he's writing to the Alter Rebbe, explaining why the fathers are right, hoping that the Alter Rebbe will then send a letter to the Chassidim in the community that, that is saying, yeah, you can't, uh, you can't change the Nusach of the Davin. What was the issue? The issue was very simple. The Torah says that there's a din of kibud ava'im, that we need to honor our parents. Does that include that if a parent raised a child to follow a certain nusach that the child has to follow the, that nusach as well? That was the question. So Rabbi Eliezer Katz believed that the answer is absolutely yes. That the, that the parents have mitzad kibud ava'im, they have a right to say that the child should continue following the nusach of the father. It wasn't the only point. Today, there was another point, and that is maybe inherently one should never change Nusach HaTfilah. That's the second point, which we're not going to talk about today. But there was a first point that he, that he had in his letter to the Alter Rebbe was that parents, Mitzad Adin and Kibbut Aim, have a right to tell their children, don't change the Nusach. And if you study the laws of Kibbut Aim really well, you're going to learn that these parents are right. This was his argument that he wrote to the Alter Rebbe. So what is the Alter Rebbe going to respond? So that is something that we're going to come to as we move along uh, in this year. Now before we continue, we're going to do something that either is a little fun or is going to be a little boring, depending on what your nature is. And that is, I want to, we want to try to figure out who is this Rabbi Eliezer Katz? Who is this Rabbi Eliezer Katz? The Alter Rebbe writes very nice things. Harav, Hamor, Hagadol, Hamafursim. The only clue we have in the letter is that he says, when I come to Poland, when I come to Poland, we'll meet face to face. So we know, generally speaking, we think we know what that region is. So that would be one clue. But beyond that, there is no information. This letter was printed many times. It was printed the first time in the early 1900s. And subsequently, in many different svarim, this letter appears. And obviously, in the Igris of the Alter Rebbe, it appears. And in all of the editions, they did not try to even speculate who Eliezer Katz is. Why? 
There is no, no well-known rabbi from this period who wrote a book who's Eliezer Katz, and so therefore it's just too hard to figure this out, and it's a very, very generic name, Eliezer Katz, it doesn't get more generic than that, and so therefore no one really tried figuring this out. Yet we have pens if you have a question, so you write it down, and then we can deal with it at the end of the class. Yoshikoyach Avrem, Yoshikoyach. So, however, a few years ago, uh, just about 10 years ago, uh, there was a new edition of the letters of Alter Rebbe that was printed. A new edition. And this edition has many new uh, insights, many new comments about the historical background and information. And over there, they added a note speculating who this rabbi may be. So what do they write? So they write on page 29 of the new Igris, they write as follows. We know his name was Eliezer Katz. We estimate that he lived somewhere in southern white Russia. That's what they write. Doroim Rusa Halavana. Ulai Kherson, maybe Kherson, maybe Kherson. Kherson is a city today in Ukraine. Is it still Ukraine? I'm not sure. Um, well, okay, we're going to stay out of that. But anyway, uh, Kherson is a city. We know where it is. And uh, they think maybe Eliezer Katz is from Kherson. Now, the truth is, if you think about it right away, that should raise a red flag. Because if you know a little bit about geography, to call Kherson Poland doesn't make sense. Why is that? Kherson was never part of Poland. Kherson for many years as part of the Ottoman Empire, the Russians conquered it sometime in the 1700s and then it became part of Russia. So for it to be called Poland, there's no historical basis for that. But nonetheless, they wrote that it's Kherson. Why? Why did they write that it's Kherson? So you have to go to page Kufnun Zayin of the Igris and it's where the letter is printed and they leave a note there and this is where we figure out why they think it's Kherson. So they write, We don't know uh, Eliezer Katz, who he was and where he lived. But maybe he's the rabbi mentioned in the sefer called Beis Avram from Reb Avram Abala, the Moira Tzedek of Kherson. In other words, there is a sefer called Beis Avram. This sefer Beis Avram mentions, mentions uh, Eliezer Katz. This sefer Beis Avram was written by an author named Avram Abala. He was the rabbi in Kherson. And he mentions Eliezer Katz as living here. Look, look at number four. Here's the quote. From the Sefer, from, um, from the Sefer was printed in 1836, 1837, something like that. It was printed around that time. And he writes, it says over there, very easy, and I saw, in a tshuva achas, ksivas yad, and handwritten, not printed, la'arav ha'chodif ha'manoyach, mo'ireinu arav, Eliezer Katz, mi poi, from here. Now remember, Avram Abela of Kherson is obviously from Kherson. So if he's writing, uh, Eliezer Katz, mi poi, from here, it means Eliezer Katz is from Kherson or from the immediate villages that are around Kherson. And so therefore, we have a name. The dates, relatively speaking, match up. Manoyach means he already passed away. So in the 1830s, when this sefer was published, he had already passed away. So it makes sense to say that he was alive 20 years, 30 years or so uh, earlier. Maybe it's the same Eliezer Katz. And that's why they speculated that, he, uh, um, that Eliezer Katz lived in Kherson. Okay. Uh, again, the problem is so obvious. The problem is that the Alter Rebbe says it's Poland. It's very hard to say that Kherson is Poland. So let's open up the Sefer of Beis Havram and let's have a look at the quote. And let's see what it says there. And indeed, the two lines over here, Verisi Bechuba, are there. Itaka says it in the Sefer. However, if you look further up on the page, you notice that this is part of a long quote from another Sefer. This, these two lines, they're not Reb Abram Abela of Kherson writing. These are not his words. He is making a long quote from another sefer. What's the other sefer? The other sefer is Leiv Arye. And this rabbi's name was Arye Yehuda Leib. 
and he lived in a completely different region. And he wrote Chidushim on Mesechas Chulin. And he's the one who writes. He writes, he quotes the Bach, then he says, And I saw on a tshuva of Ksav Yad. Catch me from here, from where I, Arya Yehuda Leib, uh, live. Who disagrees, and he defends the Bach. I don't know why he's disagreeing with the Bach. Okay, so this is an important error. Because now all of a sudden, rather than thinking about a rabbi in Kherson, now we need to think about a rabbi where the Leib Arya lived. Who's this Leib Arya? So we know about the Leib. The Leib Arya that Arya Yehuda Leib is actually a, relatively speaking, famous author, and he was a Rav in two cities, in two cities. One city was Pod Heights, the other city was Brody. These are more famous uh, Jewish uh, uh, cities, especially Brody at the time. In fact, there was a lot of opposition to Chassidus that originated uh, in Brody, and Rav Arya Yehuda Leib was a Rav in these, uh, in these two cities. So all of a sudden now, we could say that Eliezer Katz L'chayra is from this is from this region. Okay. <clears throat> what are the dates of uh, this sefer? When was uh, the Lev Aryeh printed? The Lev Aryeh he writes in his sefer was written between the year between the year Tuf Kuf Samach Dalid eighteen o four, and it was done by Tuf Kuf Ayin Aleph by eighteen eleven. It was done during that six year period. It's very clear if you read the beginning of the Sefer that it was written during that seven, eight year period between 1804 and 1811. So that's when he wrote those words that Eliezer Katz had already passed away, meaning late, but during that period of years, this Eliezer Katz already passed away. During those years, he was not a Rav in Brody, he was a Rav in Podites. We know that uh, Lev Aryeh became a Rav in Brody, in the year 1813, it's very clear in the Hagdama of the Sefer, he became a Roman Brody in 1813, which means that when he wrote the words, Eliezer Katz from here, it means a rabbi who lived in Podheitz. That's Poland, that's the gen generally speaking, if you want to know the area today, Lvov, which is in western Ukraine, which definitely was once part of Poland and definitely was often called by Polish, and there were people in those regions up until World War II who spoke a lot of Polish. That, that is uh, the, this Rabbi Eliezer Katz. Now, do we know of a Rabbi Eliezer Katz from any other source who was a rabbi in Padites? Abishnaim Edim Yakum Dovar? And the answer is yes. We have a second source. There's a sefer called Neta Sha'ashuim by a rabbi named Tzvi Hirsch Kara. He was a rabbi in the same region in Buchach. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. He passed away in the year 1814, and he has a letter that he writes to the two rabbonim in Padites. One, Mareinu Alav Shmuel. And the other, Kvoid Harav Hamoir Hagodel, same words Alter Rebbe used, Hachorif Hamaforzer Mereno Harav Eliezer Hakoyen. Doesn't say cats, but we know that cats is a koyen. Mikihilak Doisha Hanau from the city of Podheitz. So basically, we know who this Eliezer Katz is. I sent an email to the editors today that uh, that I think this is an error, and they agreed. So we uh, we figured this out. Now we know who. Now do, we still don't know this Eliezer Katz. We don't know anything else about him. He never wrote any svarim. We don't know a birth date. We, as of now, don't know when he passed away. But at least we know who the individual is. We know where he lived. We know the town. We know, relatively speaking, the years. We, I don't know if there was a Hasidic community. What we know about Hasidim in this place in Podheitz in Poland, but there was something that was brewing. There was something going on in this community. And he reaches out to the Alter Rebbe, hoping that the Alter Rebbe is going to resolve this issue. Okay, now let's go into the heart of the matter. We go into the heart of the matter. 
the main issue that he discussed in his letter, uh, Eliezer Katz, and the main issue that the Alter Rebbe responded to in his letter has to do with a tshuva from the Maharik. Maharik is one of the most famous Shilas Veshuvah Svarim. Maharik stands for Marenu Arav, Rabbi Yosef, Cologne. He lived Le'erech between the years 1420 and 1480 in Italy. This is, you know, usually we say this is kind of the last generation of the Rishonim. And what's, what really put his Sefer on the map is, first of all, he got, it was printed relatively early. The Sefer was printed right in the beginning of when Sforim were being printed in 1519. And so therefore, the base Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Kara, when he wrote his work, had access to these chuvas. And he mentions him, maybe even fear to say hundreds of times in the base Yosef. But if it's not hundreds, it's dozens and dozens. And that's what made the chuvas of the Marik a very, very important uh, Sefer. And there's a lot of groundbreaking halachic rulings that are in the Sefer. And what we're going to learn today is actually one of them. So what is the case in the tshuva of the Marik? Marik was presented with the following problem. There was a, a boy, a man, and the tshuvas, they often give pseudonyms, here it's Ruvain, who swears to his father, I will not marry a woman without your permission. However, right before he made this shua to, to his father, he went to the other room, he got two witnesses, and he made a proclamation. What did he say? I hereby proclaim that the oath that I'm going to give to my father soon is null and void. In other words, similar to Kol Nidre. He knew he does Kol Nidre. What do we do depending on the Nusach? But in one of the Nuschais on Kol Nidre, we get up and we say, all the Shvuas that I'm going to make this year are null and void. So that's what he did. But again, this Shvua that he made to his father. Why? So why is he doing this trick? Why did he do the Shvua then? But Oimroi, he said as followed, I am worried that my father won't agree to go to a certain place if I don't give him the shvua. In other words, what was going on over here? The son and the father, let's imagine they were in a partnership in some sort of business. The son wanted his father to go travel to another city, let's say to go to Venice, in order to, for, to execute the, the business properly. The father says, I don't want to go. I don't want to go because I'm afraid that you're going to get married without my permission. And I want to have say over who you marry. So the son says, oh, I'll give a shvua that I want. And that's why he went to the other room before he gave the shvua and he gave a maidah proclamation in front of witnesses nullifying the vow. The father then went to Venice to do his business. And now, what happened? Ruven went along and was Mekadesh a woman without a father's permission. Uvein kiddushin, uknisa, but then between the kiddushin and the nisuin, tzivolayoviv lebilti iknois. Father said, hey, that was without my permission. And you gave a shvua that you're not going to marry without my permission. So you can't do nisuin. There was once a time that kiddushin and nisuin were done separately. The kiddushin was the chasen giving the kal of the ring in front of two witnesses. It says, hareyat mekodesh esli. There's witnesses. There's one bracha that said on that. Now they're married. Then they went home. He went with his family and she went with her family. They reconvened a year later. They did the Nisuyan. That's when they did. They stood under the chuppah. They did a yichud room. They made the Sheva brachos. And that's when they started living together. Ultimately, it was brought together. Kedushan and Nisuyan were brought during the era of the Rishonim. In different places that happened at different times, they were brought into one institution. It seems that in this case, it's, we're late in the game. We're in the 1400s. Afal became the man only did a Kedushan. He did not do a Nisuyan. The father is saying, you made a shvua that you're not going to marry without my permission. You need to honor your shvua that you're not going to marry without my permission. So you can't go ahead with the nisuin. 
So there were two questions that were presented to the Ma'ari. And he addresses both of them. One, is the Shavuah binding? Is the Shavuah binding? Or do you say the Shavuah is not binding because he made a Ma'idah, so like Kol Nidre, it should work. And to therefore, his Shavuah is not a Shavuah. That's one question that was asked. That's not going to be our focus that we're going to be learning today. The second question that the Ma'ari Kata addresses, let's say, forget the Shavuah. Forget the Shavuah. Does a father, mitzad the din of Tibud of Aim, have the legal right to tell the child, you can't marry a certain person? And does the child who wants to keep the mitzvah of Tibud of Aim have, a right, have the obligation to follow? And part of that would be, and does a Bezdin, which has the right to enforce halacha, especially in their day, have a right to intervene in this regard? That's the question that we're going to spend more of, our, more of our time on. That was, And both of those questions were important in order to answer that particular case uh, then. So, Rabbi Yosef Kalon is going to make an argument. The argument that he's going to make is that Kibudava Aim is a very important mitzvah. It's in the Aseris Hadibris. It includes a lot of things. But guess what he's going to say? It does not include telling the child who to marry. He's going to make the argument. As far as we know, he's the first one to really, not to mention a one or two lines. I don't want to, I'm not referring to that. The idea to develop a full-fledged essay uh, proving this point, he's the first one to do this. Let's see his arguments. And again, eventually we'll come back to see how this played a role in the story of the Altareb. So the first thing he says is as follows. Argument number one. The Gemara in Kedushin, Dav Lamed Beis, Amar Aleph, says the following. Mishelmi, who pays for Kibbut Avaim? What does that mean? Very simple. Kibbut Avaim is going to include, and we'll get there soon, that I need to go to the shop and bring the groceries to my parents so they can, uh, so they can benefit from it. Who pays the bill for the groceries? Mishelmi. Rav Yehuda Amar, so Rav Yehuda says, Michel, then the child has to pay. In other words, not only you need to do the shopping, you also need to pay. Not only you need to help them get a coat, you also need to pay for the coat. Rav Nos Bar Oishi Amar, however, another opinion says, Michel Av, no, actually the parents are the ones that have to pay. What's the halacha? So the Rabbanon paskind either for Rav Yirmiya or for Rav Yirmiya's son, Indeed, the parents pay. The child does not need to pay. Okay? This is what the Gemara says. This is the halacha. All of the place can follow this. The child needs to do work to honor their parents. The child does not need to pay money in order to honor their parents. Says the Ma'arik, argument number one, kol shekein hacha, how much more so in the case of marriage, shehu davar hashayich bitzara dugufa, this is a matter that entails pain, or to put aside and not marry the woman you desire. And then you're going to have to marry a different woman. You're not going to like so much. That's asking more than asking me to lay out money. What's a bigger ask of a human being? To say that, by the way, when you're doing the weekly groceries for your parents, so you should pay the $100 for the groceries. Or to say, don't marry the woman of your dreams. So he says, that's a much bigger ask. If I don't have to lay out $100 for the groceries, how much more so I don't have to endure the pain, the tsara, the gufa, of not marrying the woman I want. And so therefore, that's argument number one, that kibbut of aim is important. It does not include not marrying the woman you desire. That's argument number one. Then he goes on and says, argument number two. Let's read argument number two for this. He quotes the rush. The rush lived before him. And the Rosh has the Halacha Sefer that's printed in the back of the Gemara where he's paskining and summarizing the Dinim. But the Rosh also has Chuvas. And one of the Chuvas of the Rosh deals with the following case. Shasha Alta, you asked the question, Al Ha'av Shetziva Lebnoi, there was a father who commanded his son 
that the son should not speak to a certain other Jew. The son should never forgive him. Masha Asa for what he did. Atman Kotov, I shouldn't say, not never. Eventually you could forgive him, but for the next five years, you're not allowed to forgive him. The child, however, wants to reconcile. He is worried about what his father commanded him. Maybe even his father already passed away. I don't want to go against the legacy of my, my father. My father said we need to go to war with that family. So now, so that's on the one hand. On the other hand, I personally want to reconcile. What's the din in this case? Does kibodava mean that we shouldn't reconcile? Says the Raj, da, you should know. The law is that you're not allowed to hate another Jew. And therefore, when the father says you need to hate him, not forgiving seems to be equated with hating. So, he has no right to tell the child to go against Divrei Torah. Alright, this is a pretty well-known din. Kibbutz aim does not mean that the, the parent can tell the child to go against a mitzvah. It's not only kashras and Shabbos. What we're learning here is that it also has to do with something like this, with Mechila, with, with Avas Yisrael, with relationships with another person. What does that have to do with us? The Ma'arik cites this. Rabbi Yosef Kalon cites this. And he says that this is another reason why Kibbutz aim has no implications for who the child marries. How, what's the argument? Because he's going to frame it and say that that too would be going against Torah. That too is similar to the father telling the child to do an Avera. How so? It's close. It's not mamish, but it's close to telling the child to sin. Why? It says in the Gemara, in Gemara Kedushin, it is forbidden for a person to marry a woman until he sees her. Why is that? The fear is if a person, well, how, do you, how are you mechanic a woman without seeing her, by the way? The classic case is sending a shliach. You send a shliach, go to another time, family, you didn't see her in advance. Because that is effective. Halachically, it's effective. The Rabbanon came along and said, don't do it. Why? Because we're afraid that you're not going to like, the man is not going to like the end result. There's going to be a negative relationship. And maybe even it will end in divorce. And so stay away from that. Okay. So therefore, what's his argument going to be? His argument is going to be... Well, before we get to his argument, let's continue reading. He says as follows. Ella, however, I know, he says, looking around in the 1400s, hutar. Now, it's actually mutter. In other words, now we do sometimes end up having a condition without seeing the woman. Why? Because there's a fear that if you don't send a shliach to, send, to be makadish that woman... Someone else is going to get her. And so, therefore, because of that, it became mutter. And he cites the Toysus and Poiskim who make this uh, point. I'm not aware of Toysus and Poiskim that make this point. We looked around, didn't really find. It's on a different, on the same Ahmed and Gemara, there's a different thing. That is, a person should not be Mikadish's daughter, a daughter when she's too young, which relates to uh, Parshish Chayazara. And it's on that that, tois, that that some of the place can say, oh, okay, but we're matter today because if you're going to wait till she grows older, someone else is going to get her, and so therefore you can go ahead and do it now. It could be that what the Ma'arik meant was that the same permission that applies for young marriage also applies for blind marriage. It could be that's what he means. Anyway, the bottom line is, putting this heter aside, what does the Ma'arik say? We see the Chazal wanted that you should marry a woman that you desire and that you like. Ah, so therefore, if the father comes and says, I know you like her, but don't marry her, marry someone else, 
One second, the Chachamim told me, I need a seer. What do they mean when they say I need a seer? I need a liker. So in other words, I need to marry the woman I'm liking. You're telling me not to, so you're intervening, you're getting in the way. It's not chazer. It's not, uh, right? But it's a din de and, and you could also argue and say, I'm not telling you to marry someone you don't like. I'm telling you not to marry this woman. You'll find another woman and have a good relationship with her. It's a little bit of a weakness in his argument, but this is the argument he says. That when the father comes and says, don't marry a certain woman, by definition, he's getting, he's getting his hands involved in, 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 against the Isser, because there's an Isser to marry a woman that you, that you, that you don't want. Ukfar Heshez Rabin Washer, and he brings the Rosh. Don't listen to your father when he says, hate. Don't listen when your father when he says, don't marry. It's no different. Not an Aveira, but a Nidnud Aveira. Why Nidnud Aveira? First of all, it's only a Dindar And secondly, it's only we're worried that maybe something negative is going to happen. This is his second argument. So, so far, we have two arguments, and now we're going to move into the third argument. The third, the third argument is a little more fundamental. And here he comes to the Gemara about what is the definition of Kibud Ava'im and Yiras Ava'im. There are two psukim. One Pasuk says, that's honor. The other Pasuk says, Ish that's revere. What does this actually mean? You know, it's very nice to talk in the thin and say, yeah, you need a love, you need a revere, you need a respect, you need a honor. But what does it actually mean? What does it entail? So halacha never leaves things in the abstract. It always comes and says, what does that actually mean? And this is what the Gemara Kedushan does on Daflamet Aleph Amid Beis. And it says as follows. Ezeu moira ve'ezeu kibud. What's moira and what's kibud? Moira is as follows. Loi oimid bimkami. You don't stand in your parents' place. Rashi explains, this is referring to when there's a designated place uh, when the, the communal leaders are getting together and they're discussing the community politics and your father has his place where he stands in that situation. So then you're not allowed to stand in that space. The loyosha bin Kaima, you can't sit in his designated seat. Same thing, the dinim apply equally uh, with father and mother. The loyosha is varav, not contradicting him. The loyosha Rashi explains this means that if your father gets into a debate, with someone else that you don't take the other side. There are other interpretations for that. That's what Rashi says in Kedushin. That's what Moira is. What Kibud? What Kibud? It's another. Kibud is Machil Umashka, feeding and giving drink. Malbish Umachasa, giving clothes and Machasa is yeah, coats and things like that. Machnis Umaiti, bringing in and taking out. Very practical things that a person needs to do. So the Marik, Rabbi Yosef Kolon, looks at this Gemara, and he says this is a third argument for why Kibbut Ava'in does not include who I should marry. How is that? says the Marika as follows. Shita, it is obvious, the, the father does not have the power to protest the child's marriage choice. Not under the Kavod Mitzvah. Not under Moira. Why? What is Kavod? We just learned it in the Gemara. Going things similar to it has to be similar to food and drink and clothing. And here he gives a different word, which is shoes, which actually comes from the Yerushalmi, as we'll soon see. That's what Kibbut Ava'im is. Things in that line. What's Moira? What's the common denominator? The Shayech La'av. It's about the father's needs. The father has dignity needs. That is, don't stand in my place, don't sit in my place, don't contradict me, right? That's, it's basically where the child is like going into the zone of 
of, of, of the father and like uh, undermining that. What's covered? Covered is provision of needs. That's essentially what it is. Something that doesn't uh, affect the father in a very direct way, in the same way that all the examples that we've seen till now, Pshita, it's obvious, the father has no say. So in other words, father can say, well, you know, don't contradict me in the sense that I told you not to marry a certain person. No, 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 I'm not, I didn't contradict you. You said a certain thing, I said I hear you, and I went and I did my own thing. It's not under any of the categories that we saw. It's my life, my needs. It's nothing to do with the father's needs, and so therefore it's not a part of Kavit, and it's not part of Moira. So no, this is really important, because unlike the first two uh, things, the first two things, first two arguments, were there were arguments. This is giving us a new way of definition. It's line drawing. What is part of the obligation and what is not part of the obligation? And by the way, this is relevant to many different areas in life. So that's what really makes his argument a really important argument over here. Now, there's a problem with what he's saying, and he recognizes there's a problem with what he's saying. And that problem is that there's a Gemara in Kedushin, that says the following. They asked Rabbi Eliezer, Tell me the extent of what the mitzvah of Kibbut of Aim demands on us. Omar Lehem, Mr. Rabbi Eliezer answered, The father will take a purse and throw it in, in the child's face into the sea, and nonetheless, the child will not shame the father for doing this act. So, what does it sound like? It sounds like the Amar is saying over here, that the father comes, snatches a wallet out of the son's hand, his own money, throws it into the water. One second. I've been arguing, the Marik has been arguing the whole time, that Kibbut Aim is for his needs, the things that he needs. And in fact, the child doesn't even need to pay. All of a sudden we see over here, what's his need? What's the father's need here? The father has a need to take your wallet and to throw it into the water. And... It's your money. The whole time we're saying you don't need to pay for kibbutz avayim. Now, first of all, I'm the child is losing money, and second of all, in what way does it, it doesn't satisfy any need? That goes against both of the principles that we were talking about. Because again, we established number one, you don't need to pay, and number two, even things that you need to do, it's only if yeah, if you have a need for food, I need to get you food, and I can't contradict you. So what's going on over here? How come I'm letting my father take the wallet and throw it into the water? So the Maharik actually spends a lot of time on this question. And he gives multiple answers. And they're nice answers. The problem is, they don't work according to all the shittas. So we're going to skip all of those steps in the process. And we're going to go to the answer that works according to all shittas. What is that? The Maharik is basically going to explain as follows. In a Hanami, what I said till now is true. The child does not have to pay for kibbut aim, number one. And kibbut aim is only providing the legitimate needs of a parent, 100%. So how come, what's different in this case? What's different in this case is, is because Gamar is saying here that you don't have, if your father did go and snatch your purse from you, even though he's not allowed to, and he did throw it in the water, even though he's not allowed to, you are not allowed to shame him. Shame him? To yell at him? To get mad at him? To express displeasure in his face for that? That's what you're not allowed to do. Do you need a to let him do it? No, you don't need a to let him do it. Is the father allowed to do it? No. But to go up and to cause the father pain for that act, that also is, uh, is part of uh, the mitzvah kibbutz of aim, not to do that. 
Let's read what the Ma'arik says inside. Number 16. What's the svara of this halacha? The ein haben rashai lahachlim alav aviv. You're not allowed to shame your father. Ulitzaroi and to cause him pain. Because of the loss of your money. Think about it this way. We learned that you're not allowed to contradict him. We learned that you're not allowed to stand in his place. We learned that you're not allowed to sit in his place. We learned that you're not allowed to take a side in his argument. So it makes so much sense that part of that is also that you shouldn't be allowed to shame him, even if he did something wrong to you. So that's, the bottom line is, But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that I need to lose my money for Kibbut Aim. It remains true that I don't need to lose my money for Kibbut Av. And it remains true that Kibbut Av is only things, I only need to do things for things that, I only need to do a, a certain activity action if the parents actually need this and it's a, a, their legitimate need. Certainly, the father, Ibazoi, cannot get in the way of the child marrying the woman he desires because of as I've explained. So these are the three points that the Marik makes. Number one, you don't have to pay for Kibbut Avayim, then that is going to mean that you do not need to undergo the pain of not marrying the woman you desire. Number two, his, uh, his second argument, we see Chazal really wanted good chemistry in a marriage. So that's like mitzvah-like. So by the father intervening, he's basically telling you to sin. We don't want that. Number three, Kibbut Avayim, the definition is giving them the things that they need for their life and not taking away the dignity they deserve. That doesn't apply for the choices you make about your own life of where you're going to live and who you're going to marry, what shul you're going to daven in, etc., etc. That's not part of the mitzvah of kibbut avayim. The throwing uh, the purse into the, into, the, into the water, okay, there's a few answers, but the bottom line answer is, after everything, yeah, it's just saying that you don't have a right to go and cause pain to your father to treat him disrespectfully because he did something not because he did something uh, uh, wrong to you. Okay. Now there's an interesting reception history of this tshuva. It was discussed by many, many. Um, there was a rav by the name of Rebelio Kapsali who lived in the 1500s in Crete, and he wrote. He's actually a historian, a rabbi historian. He has histories for him that he wrote, both Jewish history and non-Jewish history. Fascinating individual. He learned as a youngster in Italy, and he has a sefer called Mea Sha'arim. It existed in Ksav Yad till about 20 years ago. It was published for the first time around 20 years ago. It's an entire sefer, Mea Sha'arim, on Kibodavayim. Very interesting, because usually it's a product of this generation to like make a full book on one mitzvah, Kibodavayim. He already did this in the 1500s. He wrote a full book on the mitzvah of Kibodavayim. Now, what's interesting is if you read his whole, he has a whole section dealing with this issue. And it follows almost paragraph by paragraph what the Ma'arik writes, but it's rewritten in, a, in his own uh, language. He does not credit the Ma'arik, but basically it must be that he saw the tshuva of the Ma'arik, the Ma'arik's the previous generation. It must be he saw his tshuva, and he said, okay, I'm going to incorporate it into my work, which he did. So, but I look to see, does he add anything interesting? And he does add one thing interesting. He takes the tshuva of the Ma'arik, and he says that no less than Shimshon Hagibor actually, and his parents, got involved in this discussion. Why? Because if you read Shoift and Perak Yudalid, we see the story of Shimshin going down and seeing a plishti woman that he wants to marry. And he comes back home and he tells his parents, please get her for me. What do his father and mother say? The Pasuk says, The father and mother said, Amongst your Jewish brethren, our people, there is no woman. 
that you're going to the Philistines. Okay, it's a good taina. So what does Shimshin answer back? Shimshin says, No, take her. Because this is the one that I want. Hold on. If the Maharik is wrong, if Medin Kibudava aim, you have to marry the woman that your father says. And, and if he says no, then you're not allowed to marry. So what's Shimshin doing over here? What's he saying? Now we have a you could say, oh, he did something wrong. No, there's a long tradition in Chazal that justifies all the things that Shimshin did. And it says that he was right and that he was a tzaddik and he was a nazir from, from in utero, he is already a nazir. Let's read inside what he said. If parents really dictate the marriage, as part of the mitzvah of Moira Avaim and Kibud Avaim, in Cain, Shimshin Shoifet Yisrael. When we come to Shimshin, he was a Nazir, he was God's man from conception. Because he's a complete Tzaddik, you have to ask yourself. How can you think he, 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 he can disregard the mitzvah of Kibbut Avaim? He had a halachic argument with his father. And, and he had the right side of the argument. He said, I take her. What did Shimshin mean? He meant to say what Marik said. Lisa Adam Isha, in order to, when marrying a woman, Toyota didn't give that to the jurisdiction of the parents. The Ains of Bechal covered Umayra. That's what Shimshin was saying. It's not part of Kibbutz Avain. And what happened in the story? They consented, they agreed. So, in other words, the parents said, You know something? You're Taka right. So, the Hava, Amina, the mother and the father, thought, not like the Marik. Shimshin taught them what the Marik had taught us. Then he goes on to say, what about the fact that she's not Jewish? So Shimshin's plan was to uh, uh, convert her. Um, and then he says, when they saw, when they saw that he had the better halachic argument, they ended up agreeing. Okay. Now, in later generations, it was pointed out by the Meshachachma, Ravind Dvinsk, in the beginning of the 20th century, that the MS is, you could see, this answers a question in this week's parsha, on Parsha's Chayisar. How so? So this week's parsha, we have the Maisa, where Avram calls Eliezer, and the whole story where he makes him swear, do a shvua. And the shvua is that he's going to go down to Aram Naaraim, he's going to find the wife of Yitzchak. And don't you dare take from the Benoist HaKnani who are here. Frexich Teshaila, why don't you just call Yitzchak and do this with Yitzchak? Why is he using Eliezer? Make Yitzchak do this. Uh, tell, tell Yitzchak this. Look what he says. He tell, the Pasuk says, Don't take a woman for my son from the Knani. Why don't we find any uh, directive to Yitzchak? The question is a little different from the way I, I said it before. It's actually, you, you would see a Pasuk Avram calling Yitzchak over and say, Don't marry a girl from the Knani. No, he only told this to Eliezer. Which is brought by the Ramah, because indeed the Ramah brings it in Shochan Aruch. Here we see evidence. The reason he didn't tell Yitzchak is because Avram didn't want to waste his words. And had he told this to Yitzchak, Yitzchak could say, I'm very happy that. No, I don't know. He had to say it respectfully. He could say, Thank you very much for giving me that information. 
But Yitzchak, this would not be binding on Yitzchak and didn't give it aim. And so therefore he didn't tell it to him. Who did he tell it to? And therefore he sent a shliach and Eliezer and made him do the shvua. And in this way, he got the job done. Okay, so that's an interesting deal that the Meshachachma makes in the Parsha. Now, the reality is that for most of the, for many, many centuries, in, definitely in Europe and in the places where these rabbis were living, the Marik was living in Italy, Rabbi Kapsali was living in, uh, in Crete, but definitely, in, and the Ramah is living in Krakow, even though the Ramah writes here that this is the din. I think we know pretty much what was going on in Krakow in the 16th century, and we know what was going on before and after. Parents made shaduchim for their children without, it, uh, without always asking, very often without asking the children what they wanted. Uh, it didn't change the, the din. In other words, uh, the din didn't say that you need to read children their rights. You have to call the child in and say, by the way, you have a right to say no to the shidduch. Mitzad halacha, you have a right to say no to the shidduch we're offering. But, but, uh, okay, now that we got that out of the way, here's the shidduch that we're offering. Parents didn't do that. Why? Because there was no Miranda rights, right? You guys know what Miranda rights are. Miranda rights is the Constitution says that no one's going to be forced to say evidence against themselves, right? No one, no one could be compelled to testify against themselves. Okay, so then what happens is the police brought people in, they ended up testifying against themselves. So they realized they, the people don't know that they have this right. So the Supreme Court was mechadish in a famous case called Miranda in the 1960s, the 1970s. They said that you need to read the right. You need to say anything that you say could be used against you in a court of law, right? That's what this phrase came from. So parents didn't do that with their children in reality. They didn't read them their rights. And the kids were relatively young when they were making shidduchim and even when they were getting married. And so for the most part, that's the system, the way it worked. So the halacha was the halacha. People weren't violating the halacha. It wasn't like it, it wasn't like there was a violation of the halacha, but it just happens to be that I don't know how much this halacha actually had an influence on on day to day life. Okay, what does all of this have to do with Alter Rebbe? Has to do with Alter Rebbe as follows, because Rabbi Eliezer Katz knew this maharik, and he knew this maharik very well, but he wanted to say that the maharik is wrong. The Alter Rebbe writes in the letter, the Ava Rabazu. You love peace so much, he tells this Eliezer Katz, who we now know is from Pud Heights. You love peace so much that Kilkal Hashura, this made you act in a non not normal way. The Chasav al Chuvas Maharik, that you wrote about this Chuva, Shuneged Mashmos Hagamara Vapoiski. Eliezer Katz, Rabbi Eliezer Katz, a very important Rav in his day, said that the Maharik is wrong. If you read the Gemara well, the Maharik's Yesoid is wrong. Says the Alter Rebbe, I disagree with you. To the contrary. And the Alter Rebbe cites a Rashba in Yevamis, which we're not going to get into, which is evidence for what the Mariks approach. The other Rabbi, the Alter Rebbe says, This is the implication of the Gemara Perekama, the Kiddushin. The Alter Rebbe adds a deal, can adds an argument for the Marik. Why? Because what's the Lashon of the Gemara? The Gemara says, Ezehu Kibud, Ezehu Moira. What is, says Al-Tarebbe, Ezehu mashma zehu dafke. Ezehu means this. When the Gemara says, what is it? And then it gives an answer. So it means it's limited to that. Now, it doesn't mean it's limited that it's only those four things. I'm sure you, there's another need. Uh, I don't know, uh, an electrician. A parent needs an electrician for light at home. It didn't say, it didn't specify light. I don't think Al-Tarebbe means to say that it's only food, drink, Going in and going out and clothing, only that and not helping them get light at home. No, those things are similar to light. These are 
personal needs that every human being has, and you need to provide it. But a zehu means that it needs to be confined to that category, and it's nothing beyond that, such as, listen to everything that I say. That's already beyond this, uh, this thing. And then the Al-Qarabah goes on and brings another ayah, it's also in the Yerushalmi. It's a Befedish Yerushalmi that's mashma like the Marik. And we already know that the Marik uh, was using the Yerushalmi because he used a word from the Yerushalmi that I alluded to uh, earlier. What's the Yerushalmi say? The father gives to the child the following things. Noi, his looks, his good looks, uh, his, 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 his power, his abilities. Oysher, wealth, chachma, wisdom, and shanim in years. I don't really care so much about what the specific meaning of this line is. The Gemara goes and gives psukim how each one is derived. Then it says, Just like the father gives a child these five things, So the son is obligated in five things, tit for tat, corresponding to what the father gave. And here they are, we have that in the Bavli, Malbish, we have that in the Bavli, Maniel. That's the shoes. We did not have it in the Bavli, but the Marik cited it. Manhig, leading, that's very similar to taking in and taking out, meaning taking on the road. What do you see here in the Yerushalmi? Five. It says five. When you say five, it means five. Now again, doesn't mean not the electrician. I don't think anyone interprets it. But the five means that these are five categories. It needs to be similar to these five. It can't be a whole new, uh, it can't be a whole new category. Now what happened here? What's the, why is Eliezer Katz saying, Rabbi Eliezer Katz, why is saying the Marik is wrong? Because he wants to say, the father says, we grew up with this Nusuch, this is what I daven, so I'm telling you, you can't change Nusuch. Then midin Torah, the child has to listen. That's what Rabbi Eliezer Katz wanted to say. Now, his problem is the Marik. What's a shaykh to the father, what Nusuch I daven? That's not, your, that's not your life, that's my life. Leave me alone. So therefore, what did he say? Marik is wrong. What does Alter Rebbe say? No, the Marik is actually right. The children have a, a, an absolute right within, to, to change the Nusuch. Again, one issue is if you're allowed to change the Nusuch, which is not part of this year. Maybe we'll do a part two to talk about the issue of Bechlal is a person allowed to change the Nusuch. But Benigea, the argument that it's a Hebe aim, the Marik said, that's a non-issue. And that's why he's supporting and bringing new rias for the Marik's position. And then he goes on to say, what about the question or the wallet? Right? So remember, the Marik's answer was, yeah, maybe what the father did is not right, but you don't have a right, even in such a situation, to shame your father. al says, that's the correct answer. al also brings the other answers that we didn't discuss. Basically, it's a full-fledged support of the tshuva of the Marik. The Marik gave three arguments of the third one. The first two, the al didn't get into. That is, tsar versus that stuff he didn't get into. But the third argument, which is why I said the most important part of the tshuva, where he, the marik draws lines of what's covered and what's moira, what's in and what's out, the al is full-fledged support for this position. Then, al says as follows. Ah, here's where it gets interesting. Because your intentions are well, are good, Rebbe Lezir Katz. You want to bring peace. So, Af Yadi Tiki I'm going to support you. But Savoy Sulahazer Allah Minyan Hamis Palalim, command this Minyan, Shalom Yishan, who say that Atfilom Ibarosh Amar Ad Achashman Esrei, not to change the Nusach. Go back to the traditional Nusach Ashkenaz. That's on condition that the people listen to you, the Kavid Mailas Kvoy Tairasai, in your honor, Lies Beshalim Uva Mishar Ima Minyan Be'emes Lamito. This is conditional that all the people make peace with the existence of this minion. In other words, we're not stopping the minion. 
Why? I mentioned before there were two reasons why there was a minion. One, we daven slow. We think Chassidus, uh, uh, maybe Kabbalah before davening, during davening. That's, that's going to stay. That's going to continue. But the Nosech, you were saying, Nosech, fine. That we could, uh, that we can actually ask them to go back. The loy loy roid madonim, but they can no longer cause fights in Benayim Hachafetin Leilach Laminim with the children who want to go uh, with uh, with the minion. So he's saying, no problem. Nosech is the issue. We'll let you change. We'll, we'll give in on that. But the minion is staying open, and they're gonna consent to their children to continue going to this minion. This is the letter the Alter Rebbe wrote. What happened in the end? We don't know what happened. We need to learn more about this Hasidic minion in Podheights. Now that we know where it is, maybe we could do some research and figure out what the end of the story is over there. Now, a few things just to uh, wrap up this, uh, this interesting topic. Again, there's so much other areas of relevance to the Dinim of Kibbutz of Aim, both in terms of what we should be doing and what we love Dafke, uh, uh, need, to, need to be doing. But there's a letter of the Rebbe, where the Rebbe used this, uh, this Din to say, that the, uh, a certain marriage uh, should go forward despite uh, the lack of parental consent. We don't have the full context of what happened. If I had to guess, I would say that there was really a case where parents were, were being very unreasonable. This is from Cheshen Tov Shalom So it says as follows. The Rebbe wrote as follows. Kiven shepsak din Because Torah paskins, shebenegel is shidduch. And when it comes to the shidduch, en ledas hanal that view of the parents, has no toikif regarding the child's decision. For all of and Torah says he should do what he wants. That proves that this is the right way to go. The So again, you need to know a little more background what happened over here. But definitely, we see this is a case where the Rebbe is using this tradition that starts clearly with the Marik endorsed by the Ramah, embraced very much by the Alter Rebbe, and, and using it in an actual case in Tav Shalom Adal. On the other hand. Things aren't always so neat and clean. And that's because when it comes to the mitzvah of Kibbutz Aim, there's one conversation to have about what's my absolute chiyuv. There's another conversation to have of Hidra mitzvah. And that is, even if it's not the absolute chiyuv, but maybe you can beautify the mitzvah, you could do the mitzvah in the, most, in the optimal way. And that plays a role here as well. In fact, the same Rabbi Elio Kapsali from the 1500s in Crete, who before he gave us the Torah with Chimshin, and then he said that, uh, you know, he, he defended the Tshuva the Marik. All the way through, he adds, toward the end, he says as follows. What I said, that's if you want to follow the letter of the law. Nonetheless, if we want to do more than the letter of the law, don't do anything, small or large, without the consent of your parents. And it is proper for a child to... To, to force himself to do everything that is, uh, to do the things that his parents want. However, at the end of the day, he still concludes If you see it's impossible, and this is the person you really want to marry, so then that's what you do. You go ahead and you marry. But he holds it up as an ideal to try to get on the same page with your parents, even if it's not an absolute chiyuv. This is Lifnim Mishuras Hadin. There are other Rabbanim throughout the generations who have said very similar things. In fact, there's a letter from the Friedrich Rebbe. If you go to number 26, there's a letter of the Fidik Rebbe that says as follows. The minor, this is from Tavshin Vav. The minor al-Ksavoy, oides hatsoas ha-shidduchim apsulas maras, there's a certain shidduch here. Hine mitzad ha-anhoga, al-pi adracha de Torah be-kibud hoirim, because of the way we need to behave, guided by Torah, about kibud hoirim, 
So when it comes to shidduchim, you need to ask their opinion. And if they agree, then I agree to this shidduch. So the first time I looked at this, I thought that the, the Friedrich Rebbe is saying that kibbud of aim obligates that the shidduch be with the consent of the parents. Like, not like the Maharik. But I think it's difficult to suggest that the Fidik Rebbe is disagreeing with the Maharik. Uh, it could just mean what we're saying here. It's, is it part, there's the absolute chiyuv of the mitzvah, and then there's the broader value that the mitzvah brings, which goes into the category of hider mitzvah and lefni mishur as hadin. And uh, maybe you could say, I think you could say that that's what the Fidik Rebbe is referring to over here. I don't think he's trying to disagree with the Maharik said. There's a similar letter from the Rebbe. This is printed in Hechob Manachem. Uh, a letter from Tavshon Chavdalet, where the Rebbe writes about Shaduchim, and the Rebbe says, you met, you know, you met, uh, um, you guys met uh, uh, on numerous occasions, he's writing to her, so the Rebbe writes, No one spoke to her parents. So the Rebbe wrote, That's surprising. The minig amongst Jews is last, before you decide, you need to speak to the parents. Do it now. In other words, here the point is, yeah, there is a, a halacha, but there also is the tradition. And the tradition, I alluded to this before, has very much been the minig, which there's halacha and there's minig. The minig has very much been that there's parental oversight and guidance and consent to children's marriage. That's not something that we throw out. First of all, I showed you it's lufni mishur sadin. Now is another point is that it's part of the meaning and the tradition. And so therefore, yes, we saw earlier the Rebbe invoking the halacha. In some cases, you're going to have to invoke the halacha. You're going to have to say the shidduch is going to go forward despite the fact that the parents don't agree. But things are, if it's not a desperate situation, then that's, we want to look at, we, we want the situation to be one and where we're following the meaning and we're following the tradition. Anyway, so that's how we tie together these different pieces. The Maisa with al Rebbe connecting with the Maisa, the Marik, and um, it's, it's something that comes in this week's Parsha, we learn about the Shvua, the first Shvua, and the Tshuva is also very much about the Shvua. The Shvua, of sin, uh, the, the shvua that the person made, that I'm not going to swear. So what happened at the end with the Tshuva, the Marik? The Tshuva was, inside Kibbut of Av, he doesn't have to listen to his father. But the Shvua? A Shvua is binding. Shvua is not monkey business. A Shvua is a real thing. And he said, the Moidah, the proclamation that he did before didn't work, doesn't work. And for this, he goes to explain, you have to learn the dinim of when a maidah works, when a maidah doesn't work, which we're not going to get into now. The bottom line is he said the shvua is a real shvua. So the only way forward for this guy was to get his father to agree to the shidduch because that was the shvua that he did. But that's only because of the shvua of the simna yod chatachas yirechi. It's not because of the dinner, kibbutz of aim. It has nothing to do with kibbutz of aim. This is the groundbreaking shvua of the marriage.